This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters and culture. Colonisation and genocide are ongoing processes that are still continuing to this day. Sovereignty was never ceded and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hey everybody, welcome back to Ozpol Snack Pod, the podcast where two of Australia's foremost political nobodies serve you up bite-sized chunks of Australian news and politics with a side of crispy memes. We're also the official podcast of the Ozpol Shitposting Facebook group, which you should go and check out if you like Ozpol and shitposting. I am one of your hosts, my name is Zach Snack, and with me as always is member of my inner sanctum. Hey, I'm Noon. Uh, on, on Facebook, I'm Ino Funkenstein, and this week, uh, one of our Patreon supporters, our shadowy financier, referred to me as the least online meme lord that they know. So, that maybe is another title to add to our ever-increasingly long introduction section. You know, Breaker of Chains, Mother of Dragons, least online meme lord that I know. We'll fold it in. Yeah. yeah. We'll we'll introduce it into the mix, for sure. How are you going, Nuna? I know you've been, uh, you've been under the weather the last couple of weeks. I know you're COVID-free, which is, I am. although sad for the show, positive in every other way. Yeah, though, you know, I wasn't... Uh, yeah, I had a real bad cough. It was pretty unpleasant um, and obviously thought it was definitely coronavirus. Uh, but yeah, I got the negative swab. I was like, cool, cool, cool. And then my mum was like, oh, you know, this means that if you catch coronavirus, it's way more likely to kill you now because you've just had a terrible lung disease. And I was like, fuck. So anyway, uh, well, you yeah, know, there's no, an I'm, easy I'm, solution I'm, to that. <clears throat> what you need to do is get a tiny little bit of coronavirus and dilute it in 10 mils of water, then dilute mm-hmm. that in 10 mils of water, and you need to vibrate it at a really high frequency, and then if you and you just like pound it like a shot, boom, cured. All right, I'll give it a go. I just need to find yep. someone with coronavirus uh, to spit into some water. All right, nice. Thanks, Zach. <laughs> that's uh, that's helpful. You should let all of the uh, the vaccine research people know. I have. They've stopped returning my calls. I, uh, um, yeah. Uh, go figure. I, I'm trying to f- figure out a workaround. Um, in the meantime, would you like to get started with our uh, First Nations story this week? And Oh, Noon, is this a good one? I mean, kind of. Medium. Uh, oh. like, yeah, it's... <laughs> like it's every better good than a lot of the other ones show. that we have. Yeah, yeah. That, well, this is self-contained internal emotional whiplash. Uh, yeah, okay, so uh, yeah, the... Good, good. Uh, Mutajulu Community Aboriginal Corporation, which is the government-recognised body of the traditional owners of Uluru, uh, blockaded the entrances to the national park that has Uluru in it because they're really worried about coronavirus. Um, And as we know, coronavirus is obviously disproportionately dangerous for remote communities and for First Nations communities. Um, So they're like, yeah, really desperately trying to prevent anyone coming onto their land and infecting everyone with coronavirus. And the the MCAC, the Mutajulu Community Corporation, uh, asked Parks Australia to shut the park and Parks Australia actually refused. Uh, So the MCAC set up a blockade, um, which is pretty fucking cool. It was actually... Yeah, and there's this amazing photo of them all just, like, standing around with the road shut with a big Aboriginal flag. And, yeah, it looks really good. And the blockade was organized specifically to stop these f- about 40 tourists who were coming together on a tour trip from Brisbane. Um, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> so and, I'm, and, excuse me, but what the fuck are you doing? 
Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, I will tell you a bit more about them in just a sec, but um, the end of the story is that Parks, about a day later, agreed to the closure. And yeah, uh, I just wanted to like give extra shout-outs for this direct action, because um, I really like things... I, I mean, you know, people should do whatever action they think is cool, and I'm supportive of it, but I really like actions that both deal directly with the problem of like people coming into the park... And also leverage power over decision makers, which mm. is like reflected in the fact that Parks made the change. So yeah, mm. I think this is this is a really good example of direct action that both fixes the problem and works towards like, like a broader, longer term goal. So the a systemic time. change or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, yeah. you're right. It's like a neat. It works neatly in that in both ways. Mm. Uh, so yeah, currently the Northern Territory is not requiring people to quarantine if they enter from out of state. Uh, unless they've been in a designated hotspot. And this flight came from Brisbane, which is a designated hotspot, um, but nearly all of the passengers were just, like, quote, passing through and not sort of staying in Brisbane for an extended period, and therefore they're exempt from this quarantine requirement. However, there were three people on the flight who were instructed to quarantine because they'd been in a hotspot in the way that counts, whatever, like, I don't know if it's 24 hours or something. Um... So there were like, I think there were 42 people, three were made to quarantine, and that seems kind of ridiculous to me because like they were all on a plane together, mm. right? Like um, that seems like a a pretty likely place for it to spread from one to the other. But anyway, uh, yeah, the that's company... how Debbie Kilroy got it from Peter Dutton. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, allegedly. Uh, the the company, the tour operators, claimed repeatedly that they've had rigorous testing and, you know, they've got all of these important measures to stop coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Later, it turned out that none of the 42 tourists had taken a COVID test before the trip. Um, and the real, like, cherry on top of this terrible Go. Sunday, I mean, mixed <laughs> Sunday, I guess, is that a woman... One of these tourists tried to break into the Uluru National Park despite the blockade and the now official closure, and she was discovered by rangers with a sprained ankle, um, which is how they, they know that she tried to break in, like, not on the official entrance or whatever. The, and the this, lesson- this shit happens to everybody who tries to, like, defiantly climb Uluru. Like, remember right, when Paulie exactly. Hansen got stuck halfway up? Yeah, Just yeah, don't got- try it. The rock is not having your bullshit. Right, that's what I put in my notes. Important lesson, don't fuck with Aboriginal land. Like, just don't fucking do it. It's it's not going to end well. Anyway, um, yeah, that's that's the story. Mixed, mixed. good on you, uh, Munajulu Community Aboriginal Corporation. I think that's fucking badass. And yeah, good that bad job, silly finally tourists. caught up with them. Yeah, Stay bad home. job, silly tourists. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for that one, Noon. All no right, worries. um... Let's move on to... You fucked up. So, oh, gee, I mean, many rolling and intersecting forms of fucking up here. Um, yeah. But uh, we're going to be talking mostly about the way in which the University of Melbourne has fucked up. Uh, so it came out this week that University of Melbourne has been stealing millions of dollars of wages from its staff uh, for a long time, some of the wage theft practices go back over a decade. Um, and some of these wage theft practices include stuff like only paying markers for the first three minutes that they mark an assignment for, um, which of course is ridiculous. Um, the, the union NTU reckons that, um, markers are being underpaid by like half often. Um, 
and uh, yeah, a bunch of other just like really cook stuff like in the science faculty, for example, um, tutorials were listed as practice classes. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. the tutors were getting paid for one hour of a three hour class um, over in the arts faculty. Tutors weren't being paid to attend the lectures that they were then supposed to tutor on. They were like encouraged yep, yep. to attend. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, my partner was just reading this story and, and commenting like, yeah, I would often like go to tutes at uni uh and the tutors weren't at the lecture and then i'll be like why the fuck am i here listening to you you're completely disengaged and like, mm. yeah the answer is like i mean these they weren't getting people paid are not... for it yeah. yeah exactly uh so plans to repay a whole bunch of staff are being made um there are still kind of disputes going on between the uni and the union sure um the uni has asked uh, staff to lodge their claims by the end of the week, which seems like short notice. Yeah, the I mean, last this ten is... years worth of wage theft. Just get that done in the next like four days, right? Except it's not the last ten years. It's only the last roughly six because of the statute of limitations. Sure, you can sure. only get repayments going back to twenty fourteen. Another cool detail. Um, so, pro tip for anyone who's doing wage theft out there: try and do it for more than six years so that you can keep some of it. That's all. That's profit, baby. Um, uh, so. <laughs> I mean, the uni is now saying that they've ended all of those underpayment practices, which, uh-huh. sure, whatever. Um, this, is, of course, is not limited to the University of Melbourne. It's widespread across other unis. Yep. Um, just some of the other unis that have been found to be underpaying their staff include the University of Western Australia, Macquarie Uni in Sydney, and the University of New South Wales. Um, but this is, you know, it has to be understood, I guess, in, in a broader context in a couple of ways. First important thing to note is the massive casualization of academic work. Mm. So in general across the state, Victoria is the only state, by the way, that requires unis to report the amount of casual workers in their right. employ. Um, and across the state, the the number is roughly 68% of uni staff are casually or, or in sessionally employed. Mm. Uh, and uh, at the University of Melbourne, it's higher. It's over 72%. That's a huge amount of workers in insecure work. And of course, you know, all these kind of job losses and contractions that are happening uh, across the university sector in in the wake of the COVID crisis, uh, like the job losses are massively underreported because giving a casual no more hours doesn't count as firing them. (laughs) So, you know, you've got way more people out of work across the sector than would be showing up in statistics. This, is, of course, is, is all compounded by the fact that job uh, that uh, the uni sector was uh, cut out of the JobKeeper deal yep. as well. Um, so there's a few other little details from this story that make it sting a little bit more. So one thing mm. that's been um, uh, a figure that's been bandied around a lot is that the uni had listed Melbourne Uni had listed 4.43 billion dollars in reserves on their annual report. So that's unspent revenue or investments that are supposed to be used in emergencies. I don't know. Is there, has there been some kind of big, bad emergency thing that's happened lately? I, hmm. Any hmm. ideas? Some of them might no, be I mean, it's all pretty much smooth sailing at the moment. Yeah. yeah. I don't think... <laughs> I didn't really have an end to that joke, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, <clears throat> it was a, a weak setup to begin with, but no, no, I'm sure it's, the yeah, listeners it's take very our true, point. Though. Um, You know, the University of Melbourne is the richest university in Australia. Uh, Another fun fact is that in 2018, the the Vice-Chancellor was paid $1.6 million. Wow, holy shit. Which is 
you know, that's also consistent across the university sector. Like that's yeah, yeah. an extremely high salary, even by VC standards, but other unis chancellors and like top executives are getting yeah. Yeah, massive yeah. massive um salaries as well and they also get huge bonuses like uh corporate executives do totally no and and the other kind of major thing to understand like the other major context in which to understand this is the corporatization of unis and this sort of move mm. to this neoliberal model and what i found interesting about this reporting of the practices throughout the various departments is that they were kind of different in each department which really makes it smell to me like cost cutting is being yeah. pushed down from the top and then each of these departments are trying to find ways to try and cook the books and each it's like the executive is delegating the job of exploiting workers down mm. to each individual faculty which i don't know it just struck me as really dark trickle down um, economics works again <laughs> a resounding success um this also came out at the same time as news that the University of Melbourne is laying off 450 staff in response to their uh, revenue losses due to COVID. This is, um, you know, uh, as we've discussed, due to the loss of international students. Um, the <laughs> apparently so, they budgeted. Go on. 450 staff, and they've got about four and a half billion in reserves. They could pay each of those staff 10 million this year if they wanted to. If they wanted to. Um, <laughs> the. The uni has budgeted apparently $4.2 billion on capital works over the next decade. So some of that mm-hmm. reserve money it will have, is included sure, in this. Sure. But, you know, this is you know, building new, basically renovating buildings and building new buildings. I remember um, when I was at Melbourne Uni, uh, there was a bunch of like renovations that like really desperately needed to happen in like classrooms that didn't have heating in winter and shit. And yeah. instead they uh, spent like, I can't remember how much, I think it was like $6 million or something, on fixing up the VC's private tennis courts, which you can <laughs> s- they're like in Melbourne Uni campus in the middle of the city, but they're kind of like hidden from the public with like a green screening like hedges and stuff but like you could just peek through and see them yeah redoing the the surfacing on the tennis courts there's two of them it's good for morale yeah. across the uni i think if yeah, you see yeah. you know you see your your vice chancellor <clears throat> living in luxury you think yeah this really is a sandstone uni you know <laughs> uh it would make me feel good um so the other kind of thing to discuss here is the Union and the way that these uh, wage theft, uh, like the way that these stolen wages had been uh, brought to light and then organized about by uh, staff at the uni. So, Mm. you know, these job cuts that that we're discussing come in the context of negotiations between the union, which is the NTEU, the National Tertiary Education Union, uh, negotiations between... Melbourne Uni and the NTU breaking down earlier in the year. So the NTU mm. had gone to the uni, I think, with a basically a plan to preserve jobs by offering like voluntary pay cuts, um, which the uni sort of knocked back and came back with a variation that offered no job protection. And then that was voted down by union members because obviously... I remember seeing that happen, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and like this kind of job protection framework was... Uh, ha- has succeeded at some unis um, right. and failed at others, but basically none of the really big ones took it on. And I know that a lot of people... I- I've kind of avoided talking about this uh, on, the- on the show because I know a lot of people... I have friends and family who work in mm. uh, the tertiary education sector 
and I feel woefully kind of uh, underprepared to talk about it. Honestly, there's a lot of ins and outs. Um, and so I think that even the initial plan that the NTEU went to the University of Melbourne with, I think rubbed a lot of staff up the wrong way. I don't think sure. that it had that much protection for casuals built into it or perhaps any. Um, so that's kind of probably worth a deeper dive and maybe we should get someone on at some Elizabeth point. Elizabeth Latham, friend of the show. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but, idea. you know, th- this uh, organizing around the stolen wages was done by the casual and sessional staff at Melbourne Uni. And as yep. I understand it, Without the full support of the NTEU, I think that there has been some kind of internal conflict there, exactly the details of which I'm not totally sure, but this is definitely a win for those casual workers. And obviously, you know, they represent a huge proportion Mm. of the uni's staff, Um, but we know how much harder it is for people who are in insecure work to organize in the first place. So I think this is Mm. uh, really an an impressive victory and uh, one that we, we can definitely take as good news. Amazing. All right, should we move on to another round of Coronas? Hey, man, I got some more beers. Oh, I don't know if I can drink anymore. I'm feeling kind of sick. No, come on, we're having another round of Coronas. Yet another one. Force-feeding you beers each week. They just keep coming and they don't stop coming. (laughs) You really cast me as the bad guy in that skit, man. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I could do with a couple more beers these days. Um... I just Daniel finished Andrews says that we should get on him, so... Yeah. Well, I had two last night, and um, nice. I don't feel good this morning <laughs> after not drinking for a month. Yeah, I don't know. They, they hit me hard. So if I'm sounding a little fuzzy, my apologies. But go on, Noon. Tell us sure. what's been happening with that coronavirus. So there's... The big thing is Melbourne is now in stage four lockdown, and I will go into more detail about that in a sec. But first, I just wanted to talk about JobKeeper and JobSeeker, which are... Um, so obviously nationwide. So JobKeeper uh, is being cut in two steps down to $1,000 a fortnight, more or less. Um, uh, but the government is expand- expanding the eligibility criteria, so more workers will have access to it. And they're doing that by changing the date at which you had to be employed to get to be eligible. And they're changing how businesses, how much revenue businesses have to have lost in order to claim JobKeeper for their employees. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to go into all the detail there. Like if you run a business or you're getting JobKeeper, you should look into the details there. Um, so yeah, but I mean, this is a mixed bag that they're cutting it, but expanding it, uh, good and bad, obviously. JobSeeker, uh, which used to be New Start, is uh, also being cut in two steps. Um yeah, so, I mean, yeah, this is just classic liberal government who knows that they need welfare to make the country not collapse but can't actually bring themselves to help poor people at all. So, you know, yeah, it giveth with one hand and taketh away with the other. <laughs> um, can we get the rights to that uh, no. Queens of the Stone Age song? No. no. Okay. All, right. <laughs> all right, but the big news really is that Melbourne is in stage four lockdown. Um, this is the first time in the country that anyone's been at stage four. What this means is that there's an 8pm to 5am curfew every night uh, within metropolitan Melbourne. Um, There's no travel more than five kilometres away from your home except for work and care. Uh, There's maximum one hour per person out of the house for exercise per day, and only one person per household can go shopping once per day. Um, So it's kind of like, it's basically what the last lockdown was, but plus a curfew and more more extreme travel restrictions. Yeah. Um, 
They've also increased fines and uh, there's soldiers out in Melbourne um, hassling people. But the thing that I really wanted to talk about is the just the Byzantine labyrinth of permits that the government has established. And it makes perfect sense to me that this is from the government who came up with job seeker, job keeper, job maker, and home maker or home builder or whatever it was. <laughs> that Okay, so workers in some industries can get uh, permits to travel more than five kilometers. And for that, you need a permitted worker permit. A poop. Yeah. If you're in these uh, PWP, permitted worker permit for permitted work. Um, so the, the, for, the permits need to be physically signed by both the employee and the employer. And it appears that you need a new permitted worker permit every time you need to travel. Jesus. Uh, so if you have regular hours, your employer can give you one for the, your regular hours. So you don't need to get a new one each time. But if you're casual or if you're picking up a random extra shift or something, or like you're working at a different site, once um you technically still need a new permitted worker permit signed by you and your employer for that specific travel um officially cops are meant to let you off the hook if you can show a not currently valid one that suggests that you're still a permitted worker right so like if you've got regular shifts and you've got a casual one and you're traveling outside the hours on your permit cops are meant to let you off the hook but there's like a $19,000 fine for misusing these um, wow. permits. So if I were you, I would really try and get a valid one. Now, the, the next level of this unnecessarily complicated permit scheme is that permitted workers from permitted industries are also eligible for an access to childcare permit. Now, only children of permitted workers and, quote, vulnerable children are allowed to access childcare at the moment. Um... So it's only, yeah, and you have to prove that you can't have someone look after them except at childcare, right? So you have to prove that either you and your partner are both permitted workers or that you um, are a single parent and can't look after them or that they have special needs that you can't do while you're working. or what. So you have to, like, prove that you're eligible for childcare. Um, They're really into restricting the access to, to childcare, this yes. government. It's Kind of weird. Well, as we discussed when we did the deep dive in it a couple weeks or a month ago or something, it makes perfect sense. It's because they're misogynists who want women to do free domestic labor to save the economy. Um, But in fact, the federal government is extending the childcare subsidy in Victoria, uh, which is good because that will mean that some of the childcare centers that are going to close won't, but a lot of them will. Uh, And they're giving a couple of other very measly discounts, like certain fees for parents being waived under certain circumstances. But as with the uh, tertiary education industry, as you mentioned before, childcare has, for some reason, been singled out to not have JobKeeper anymore. Um, despite JobKeeper now being extended. So the government is Yes, for some reason. What could it be known? It's a violent misogyny, yeah. Um, But, uh, yeah, uh, that's some fucked shit that the uh, childcare industry is basically going to collapse because of this, I reckon. Um, Mm. Yeah. Um, Just one last thing that I wanted to mention is that there's a mutual... Obligation strike being organized by the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. So this is for people receiving uh, Job Seeker, which used to be called New Start. Mutual obligations is like the euphemism for having to apply for 40 jobs a month or whatever it is. Uh, and the AUWU is organizing a strike against those mutual obligations. So we'll put a link in the show notes. You can go sign that petition and um, learn how you can 
join in that strike. Yeah. Fuck the job service provider industry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, total leeches. Um, just before we get off this, I just wanted to have a quick chat about these mm. uh, new restrictions that are coming in. So the curfew, it, it just struck me as weird the moment that it was announced. It seemed like a really strange yeah. choice. I mean, th- like partially, and I don't know if I'm being silly here, but like it seems like restricting the hours that people can go out and go to the shops and stuff will mean that more people are crowding into those places between those In hours. In the times that they're open, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which... I don't know. It seems kind of counterproductive to me. Also, I wonder, I'm sure that it's pretty hard to get actual information on this, but like, I'm sure nighttime, there's a relatively low incidence of transmission going on then. I don't mean to get into a whole bike lights thing, but um, uh, <laughs> like the number of people getting coronavirus at night, I reckon is probably pretty low. Uh, so I'm not sure why that's the time at which... The curfew is in place, the, right? Yeah, why and, not have it, well, like a nine till five curfew or something? You know, like I mean, oh, that's a silly idea too. But like, it, it seems yes. to make more sense to me. Well, it seems to it points towards what we've seen a lot of, and we discussed last week a little bit, which is this whole idea of shifting responsibility for these clusters onto individuals who are doing the wrong thing and breaking the regulations or restrictions or whatever. Mm. But no new laws have come in to address the actual places where these infections are happening, which is workplaces. There are no new like regulations in like that force workplaces to like keep workers at home or close down locations. If there's like a case of uh, infection or transmission, you probably have uh, better info on this uh, than me, but the issue with meat, uh, packaging and processing facilities that they're now being forced to reduce workers. Is that right? Yeah, there is like, there's a reduction happening across the state. I think that they're reducing to uh, either one third or two thirds capacity. I think it's two thirds. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like, there's going to be ex- there's extremely high uh, standards for like personal protective equipment. Mm. Just you know, which is basically the one like uh, concession that the government has made in terms of like trying to force businesses to like behave responsibly. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, stopping people going out, like, you know, I don't know, think about shift think, workers, for example. Yeah. Like, what if, you know, how are they supposed to get out for their hour of exercise? Or uh, people who, like, kids who can't go home because they, uh, you know, they, 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 they live in uh, abusive households, for example. Mm. You know, it's, like, well documented that kids will kind of hang out in public places or go to friends' houses or whatever because yeah. it's not yeah. safe for them to go home. Um and the five kilometer thing as well also kind of bugs me because five k radius is very different for for me. For example, I live in North Melbourne. I can go to West Brunswick or I can go south to like almost Paran, and there's you can get like, to all the hotspots. Exactly, <laughs> I can visit as many hotspots as I want. Whereas if I live somewhere further out, there might not mm. be anything within five kilometers like Mm. i might need to go further than that to do my shopping yes and in fact there is a specific allowance made you can go to the closest supermarket if that is more than five kilometers away so that yeah that's good to know but yeah i think your point about the curfew is right and uh, you you said it in terms of like putting the like the the impetus on individuals to or, Mm. or something like that i think that is part of it but it's also just like 
we're being serious now. This is a big well, deal. It, it seems, it seems more like ambient like or like strict. It's like, um, yeah, ambient well, authoritarian. It's virtue signaling. It's, exactly it's authoritarian yeah, yeah. virtual signaling. That's what yeah. it seems like to me. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I think there's a lot of issues with it, and I don't know if it's a yep. sensible move. And uh, I mean, look, we we have said many times in this show that we um, <laughs> disagree with the way that this is being dealt with in many ways. Um, uh, before we moved on, I was going to just do a quick little uh, broken clock because uh, an asshole nice. agrees with us, kind of. Nice. Say what you will about Pauline. Corey Bernardi's right about this. You know, one. you have to hand it to ISIS. I don't normally agree with Channel 7. Um, David Lionholm is a racist, misogynist piece of shit. Mm. Uh, libertarian who thankfully is no longer uh, in, in parliament, parliament yeah. uh, which is great. Uh, but as a libertarian, very occasionally his interests line up with ours, and he's been complaining consistently on Twitter. Is you know I follow all of the worst politicians in Australia mm. on Twitter because I love to make myself angry for no reason. And you'll be scrolling through and just see like, oh, laying home, shit take, shit take, shit take, shit take, shit take, and then he's like, hey. These fines are garbage. Why are we fining people for not being home? This is ridiculous. Obviously, his position is you shouldn't find people for not being home because the government shouldn't be allowed to do anything. Whereas our yes. position is you shouldn't find people because it's an unnecessarily and ineffective, punitive way to respond to a public health it's crisis. It's going to disproportionately affect the poor. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but, you know... Occasionally, Lion, Lion Helm Those and two us, things we, line up. So. We line up. Um, and we he did like this, and this tweet is silly and basically wrong. But also, I thought it was kind of funny that yeah, um, it's basically wrong. <laughs> it is basically wrong that um, Lee Sales, uh, who uh, got tested for COVID nineteen and then had to isolate, so she was uh, she tweeted that she was going to present seven thirty from home. And then David Lionholm quote tweeted it saying, if the police knock on her door while she's presenting and she doesn't answer it, she'll be fined $5,000. Now, there's several reasons why that is wrong because A, she didn't have COVID and B, yeah. hadn't failed to answer the phone twice. And But like, if, yeah, the cops shouldn't be coming to knock on people's doors about this shit anyway, I don't think. But uh, <laughs> That's so, also very know. funny to me because uh, it, it sort of echoes backwards, like in reverse, the time that Lionhelm got taken to court by the council for not having a, a fence around his pool. And he was like, this is sexism. <laughs> you should be fining my wife. Um, <laughs> which is just such an amazing Lionhelm move oh uh, yeah i mean when he's amusing he's amusing anyway that's the broken clock for this week all right and we also had a quick posse corner Positivity corner. yeah uh there's 10 more bulk build therapy sessions available uh telehealth therapy sessions for people with mental health care plans uh which is fabulous really good news for me uh therapy is literally my biggest expense um so the last 10 and this next 10 bulk build therapy sessions is just like it's worth miles more than the lump sum that i got uh from the government so mm. that's fucking this that's is fucking victoria excellent. only i'm pretty sure yes um, that's right yes yeah, yeah and it's a, mm. like a response to to covid basically which i think is yeah uh, yeah, it's an important element of it. And yeah, as you say, Noon, like, it makes a huge difference because, you know, the, the entire point of getting these is you can't afford therapy because they're so fucking expensive. Yeah. Um, but like 10 a year, which by the way, you know, that it doesn't, you don't get totally reimbursed. You get a certain amount back. And so That's depending right, on who you're build, seeing, so, uh, yeah, yeah, you might still have to pay out of pocket like 70, yeah. 80 bucks a session. 
Yeah. Um, but like ten sessions a year is not enough. That's less than one a month. No, that's like less than one a month. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And like, if you're seeing a therapist once every five weeks, I mean, I don't know how much they're going to remember about you in between those two sessions. I hope they're Hopefully taking extremely fucking detailed notes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you'll be chill for this next over a month before we yep. get together again. And I'm like, okay, um, how many sisters do you have? Yeah, okay. Mm. <laughs> anyway, but it's a good thing. That's what <laughs> it's it a posi it is. Yeah, yeah, it is nice. Yeah. All right. Um, another nice thing is that we got a potluck this week. Potluck, where you bring the snacks. Uh, Potluck is the the segment where we ask our listeners to send in an audio recording. Uh, You can do that uh, just on your phone. Make sure to take off your phone cover because otherwise you'll be inaudible. Uh, Record yourself talking for about a minute and email it to us at ospolsnackpod at gmail.com and we'll pop it on the show. Uh, This one's a little different to what we normally get. We normally have people sort of rant about something that's making them upset. Um, (laughs) But uh, we had a listener reach out and ask if they could uh, spruik a cause that they are... um, really committed to um and tell us a little bit about it which we um yeah thought was really interesting so this is one from ellie Cesara, who you can find on twitter at elisa Cesara, um and uh, she's going to tell us a little bit about antarctica hey snack pod i'm ellie i'm a biologist environmentalist and advocate from here in australia living in such a scenic country it's a disappointment to learn that our environment takes such a back seat especially when looking to other global zones where australia has division I've worked as a volunteer and as a researcher in the Antarctic, where climate change is real and happening now. Antarctica has experienced air temperature increases of 3% along the Antarctic Peninsula. Although it might not seem like much, it's five times the mean rate of global warming as reported by the IPCC. So in short, Antarctica has warmed rapidly over the last 50 years. Climate change uh, impacts there aren't a localised issue. What happens there affects the planet, from rising seas, flooding low-lying communities... Uh, altered ocean circulation patterns and contributions to extreme weather events. Biodiversity is also deeply affected. There's the changing distribution of penguin colonies along the Antarctic Peninsula due to sea ice, uh, loss of sea ice, whilst the melting of perennial snow uh, has given rise to crazy events like the uh, colonisation of plants along the continent. Less krill um, because of loss of sea ice cover means less whales and less seals and that reduces the presence of apex predators. Protecting the Antarctic should be a priority issue in Australia, and there should be an urgency to conserve the southernmost continent. Unfortunately, it simply doesn't take priority, neither here in Australia or on a global scale. Um, we still have illegal fisheries, um, and climate change is denied and ostracised as a maybe issue by world leaders who simply lack the authority to make such calls about the biological state of the planet. And with Antarctica, the difficulty comes from its legal status. It belongs to no one and everyone at the same time. So global efforts must be made. Whilst major nations debate and deliberate on climate issues, melting sea ice and loss of continent cover imminently affect three vast marine sanctuaries. And in October, delegations are considering designating these zones as MPAs or marine protected areas. If successful, together, the East Antarctica, Antarctic Peninsula and Waddell Sea MPAs would protect almost 1% of the ocean globally by covering roughly 4 million square kilometres. This would represent the largest act of ocean protection in history. 
world leaders like Macron, Putin, Jinping, Chancellor of Germany Angela Merkel and Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison are being called to add their country's weight behind a first-of-its-kind attempt to designate three marine sanctuaries. I'm working with an organisation, it's called Only One, to secure this piece of ocean protection, which, if successful, like I said, will be the largest act of ocean protection in history. Uh, if you are interested, we're collecting signatures and you can add yours at only.one forward slash act forward slash Antarctica. Um, so 2020 marks the 200th anniversary of the discovery of Antarctica. And my concern is that a non-progressive government like Australia's just won't allow for significant protection for Antarctica as a result of climate change, especially considering our current leader, Scott Morrison, by and large, doesn't advocate for it. Our 2030 climate change target simply isn't good enough and Australia currently sits at the least adherence to the Paris Agreement. We're measured as insufficient when we should be two steps up at about 1.5 degrees Celsius compatible. This is despite media releases on our governmental websites that claim Australia is meeting climate targets and supporting an international response to climate change. I'd love to see more conversation about climate change in forgotten places like Antarctica, where some of the world's most beautiful landscapes and wildlife exist. My hope is that more conversation leads to more conservation. And if we're being critical of the Australian government's response to anything, which we are and always should be, climate and protecting Australia's stake in the Antarctic should be front and centre, especially in 2020 and especially in this climate crisis. Yeah, cool. I think that was really great. And there's some terrifying stuff in there like plants colonizing the coast of antarctica because of warming that is deeply cooked that's wild the, the yeah. other thing i was reading about was this trade in like uh krill fishing which is mm. decimating the local populations and as ellie was saying that obviously has a huge ripple on effect on throughout effect. the rest yeah. of the food chain um i was like well, why are people fishing for krill like are people eating krill? Is this some new thing that I don't know about? No, no, no. It's to make krill oil for health benefits. What health benefits? Well, yeah, maybe it doesn't have any, but it's similar to fish oil. And now it's like a massive worldwide industry and it's destroying our ecosystem. And so we need to protect these oceans. We need to Can't have- people go back to like snorting ground rhinoceros horn and shit like that? Uh. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's a terrible joke. Ex- extremely similar vibe, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's much harder to like post angry photos of someone posing with a rifle over a dead krill. Tiny krill. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind um, of funny. Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, I think like a, a bit of public outrage over this is definitely due. I, I, mm. I, I After looking into it, it looks like people have been trying to establish a uh, marine sanctuary around Antarctica mm. for the past eight years, but the body that's in charge of it has been basically in deadlock. Deadlocked so they whatever, haven't been able yeah. to get anything done. Mm. So obviously, um, you know, with this petition, uh, only one is trying to knock something loose politically. So uh, definitely head over to that address, which we'll put uh, in the show notes and sign up. And, and follow Ellie on Twitter. Yes, also do that. Okay. I think now it's time for... Shitpost of the week. And this one is, uh, this is our first shitpost that we've had in a little while. I mean, it's also kind of a shit post, but it's mostly a shitpost. So this is the first one in quite a while. And I think this is the second time we've awarded it to Kira Janali. Uh, 
at least. Full-time meme lord at Beautiful, Talented, and Deadly, uh, and a bunch of other sites that they run. They were also, we did an interview with them early on in the show. Uh, and Kira has uh, been seeing all of the horny Daniel Andrews posting going on. And, um, you we're know, there's be, been a lot ma- of people being sent to, to horny jail. So many people going to horny jail. And, like, for a an Australian politics podcast that attempts to also occasionally tell a joke, I think that we have shown incredible restraint in refusing to engage with the horny Dandrews discourse. Mm, but mm. The, it's, like, it's unavoidable. The dam yeah. has broken yeah. and we're getting fucking washed away. We've been swept away by this horrible tidal wave of horny garbage. Um, but luckily, Kira is throwing us a, a chaste and unhorny lifeline, uh, it? a flotation like device. Like, uh, well, I, not horny it, at Dan. It's it, more like overload. <laughs> overload. If I'm gonna, I'm gonna dump so much horny on you that you'll never want to be horny again. Yeah. And on that note, parents, please just take your earphones out for like the next <laughs> five minutes because uh, I'm gonna have to read this entire text. Um. I know you always say that you don't mind talking about sex things, but I do. So, yeah. Um, and so Kira posted this with a photo of Dan looking. I would describe him as peaky in this photo. It's not, it's not a particularly nice photo of him. He looks a, a little little somber, a little bored, low energy. Uh, I, I anyway. actually think you could interpret that raised eyebrow as a bit cumbled. Saucy. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And look, it's, well, it's in the it's eye not of my the beholder. Vibe. It is. Uh, so here's the text that goes along. Oh, Jesus. Dan Andrews takes me as the kind of dude that sweats a lot while he humps you in missionary, just wiping his brow with a hanky as he slowly plows, then rambles on and on about his ex after he's finished. As he leaves, he asks if you want to get on the beers sometime. He goes in for a final kiss, but fucks it up and lands it between your forehead and eyebrow. It's super awkward. You did not come. You were covered in flop sweat and shame. All this because you lost your vibrator charger. It's after 8pm and you can't go out. There's a curfew. (laughs) 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 Just went through that one as fast as I could. Just ripped all those band-aids off. Um, Many a band-aid. Many a horny band-aid. Are you happy now, you horny fucks? Will you stop this is the logical conclusion of your <laughs> about politicians. It just like it's such a you know most people that we kind of engage with have not been perpetrating this, but there's been articles posted in like the Age talking about how watching Dan Andrews do a press conference is sexy, or that Brett yep. Sutton is the one high point of coronavirus or whatever because he's such a hunk. Wasn't there someone? There was like a Vice article or something of someone who had been commissioned by Vice to uh, masturbate to COVID announcements, and the headline was something like "It was quite difficult." <sighs> That's just awful. <laughs> But journalism. This like quality journalism. So yeah, I'm sure they got uh, paid a fair and just rate for that journalism as well. Um, the I, I was just going to say that the, this like attempt to I don't know sexify these public officials just seems like such a desperate partisan hack attempt by laborites to try and like drum up a little bit of like I don't know popular interesting meme conversation about this yeah and it's just horrible just stop it um and so thank you kira for taking it to for its logical it conclusion too gross. yeah yeah making it so gross that hopefully no one will ever do this again <laughs> we might have trouble posting this as our like image we might get banned from apple itunes we might have to like uh 
find a different cover you photo. Can just make it this close up of Dandrews' face. Yep. Yeah. Put a little um like blush on his cheeks, like a, a little anime blush. Oh uh, yeah. Can... A little Oh god, now I'm doing it. Oh eyes. no. Yeah. You get sucked in so easily. <laughs> oh jeez. Alright, All right. let's move on to our decidedly unsexy main story, shall we? <laughs> yes. Noon, what are we having this week? We're just having a little garnish of basil. Nice. First but, pun we've had in a while. First yeah. one that wasn't just like some vaguely food-related alliteration. Mm. <sighs> Great podcast. Okay, so um, the <laughs> Perth mayoral elections are happening in October. There are five candidates, I think. It was quite hard to get information about this. Yeah. Uh, but the front runner is a guy called Basil Zemplis. And because we don't live in Western Australia or Perth, we had no idea who the fuck this guy was until the other day when he started to pop up in the news. Uh, and so sorry to any residents of uh, Perth and Western Australia. I'm sure that there's a whole lot of um, uh, nuance that we're going to miss here and a lot of things that we're going to get wrong. So if you... We're very uh, aware that we're an East Coast elitist Melbourne latte sipping podcast. Extremely parochial we, Melbourne we podcast. We try to cover other things. Um, this is us much doing more our best. Mm. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're trying to make it less... Uh, <laughs> East Coast centric. Okay, so Basil Zemplis. He's a media personality. He started out doing sports commentary in the nineties. He had a brief stint in, I think, the Western Australian AFL league for a bit. His Wikipedia page is very specific about the amount of goals that he kicked for some reason. Can't imagine why. Um, he hosted Weekend that. Sunrise for a bit, um, and now he presents he presents sport for Seven News Perth, as well as doing some other sport commentary, mostly on AFL. Uh, he also has a column in the West, West Australian newspaper, which is owned by Seven West Media, uh-huh. Kerry Stokes's company, which also owns Channel 7. He also hosts a breakfast show on 6PR, which is the nine radio station in uh, in Western Australia. Uh, so, you know, they also own uh, 2GB, you know, former home of Alan Jones. Yep. Um, and 6PR is the only commercial talkback radio station in Perth, which I think is important to note. So this guy is all around the place. He's a big media guy. Uh, and he's running for mayor. The thing is that he is planning on keeping all of these various media positions while also being mayor, mm-hmm. uh, which... Wow. I mean, you've got to respect the... Uh... What's the word I'm looking for? The What's hustle? Called? Yeah. I mean, it's not exactly the hustle. I think it's just the brazen lack of giving a fuck about the fact that you're doing something flagrantly immoral. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. uh, And, uh, like, just to give you a a taste of how Zemplis uh, sees this kind of criticism of him, uh, like, maintaining his position as, like, a very prominent local media personality whilst also being mayor. I just have a clip here that I pulled from Media Watch's story about this, um, of him discussing it on his radio show on 6PR. And if it's a bad thing for the Lord Mayor of the City of Perth to be accessible, available and on air, well, I've misread the situation. You have. Amazing. You have misread the situation. Yeah. (laughs) Jeez Louise. it's just so fucking disingenuous. Like, yeah. why wouldn't why wouldn't it be good that I have a radio station? In fact, it's better because you can call me up on the phone and we can discuss political issues. I will not <laughs> be having office hours, but I will be on Talkback Radio <laughs> explaining why all my policies are great. 
oh yeah, I'm going to grill myself fucking super hard when I am yep. the host. And now here's my chase my of stuff <laughs> for a political interview. Yeah. It's just fucking outrageous this yep. is happening. But it's like not against the rules exactly. No, and part of the reason for that is that um, councillors actually get paid really badly. I'm not 100% about yeah. Western Australia, but like probably generally more speaking, mayor of Perth, that's a bit more, but like um, generally speaking, councillors, it's not a full-time job's worth of salary. No, um, even so, mayoral like, sa- salaries, like I'm pretty sure yeah. in Melbourne, yeah, it's... it's Sally it, Cap's getting less, yeah. Yeah, it's not, not, not a, it's really not a huge amount. It's... I don't have the exact number in front of me, but yeah, I was I was recently looking into some local council stuff and being like, oh damn, you get basically no money for this. Yeah. Um. Uh, so obviously, you know, you need to have other sources of income, but like, but that's why, at least officially, I mean, there are two reasons that politicians' salaries are so high officially. I mean, obviously, it's because they set their own salary but like officially it's a to get good talent and b so you don't have to be doing like crime hustles while you're in office yeah yeah um so yeah well just do not crime hustles um, <laughs> yeah like <laughs> that seems to be Zemplis's uh solution mm-hmm. so um mini watch whose segment on on this was was really good and i encourage people to go and seek it out point out that uh seven news weekend sunrise and the western australian where he all works have all shilled for his candidacy so the western australian had a huge had him on the front page being like mm. azul for mayor double page spread on the inside with a big Jeez. photo of him holding hands Shameless. with his family a little graphic that says why you should vote for me <laughs> like yeah i'm totally shameless exactly um and like you know the journal, journal to, to politician pipeline is a relatively common one in this country and elsewhere, I guess. Um, the other example, I guess, that comes to, that first came to mind was Maxine McHugh, who used to, um, I think she presented Channel 7, uh, sorry, uh, the 7.30 report. Uh, Sarah Henderson. Um, yeah. There's, um, I think there's even someone else running for this yes, mayoral con- candidate. Right. Oh, two, wow. There are two other media types. Um, running for mayor. Um, but the the difference is that none of these people plan to continue presenting their extremely high profile shows yeah. whilst also being a politician. So yeah, t- as you said, two of the other candidates, um, uh, ex media types. So one is who a woman named Di Bain, who is an ex ABC presenter. She now seems to be in advertising and like film producing. Uh-huh. Um, she one of her slogans is "Get on the Bain train," which um. Sure, cool. Um, <laughs> if, I would love that if it wasn't someone trying to run for mayor. Like, <laughs> that's like a. That's like it's more a, like something a, good to yell about yourself at a party once you've had a well, few my, beers. My, like if my local Indian restaurant was called like Bane and they were advertising <laughs> "Get on the Bane Train," I would be yeah. there a couple nights a week. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a lot of good Indian <laughs> restaurants nearby. I've just it's been on the, my mind recently, but yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, Bain Marie's full of curry. I don't think anybody would disagree um, that that is a Bain train that you want to get on. <laughs> um, Di Bain seems to be uh, the most progressive-ish of the candidates, as far as mm-hmm. I can see. Um, it's kind of hard to tell. Like, it was really difficult to get information about any of the other candidates. And even when I found their, like, websites or Facebook pages, their platforms seem to be pretty fucking vague. Most of them are basically being like, I won't be corrupt, I swear. Because there was a whole lot of uh, corruption. Like, the, the city council was dissolved in Perth a couple of years ago. 
partially because of massive conflicts of interest, mm, which is mm. hilarious considering who they're about to elect. Um, but yeah, I mean, so Dai Bane, I don't know, platform is like, I won't be corrupt. Something about activating our city, cleaner, greener, safer Perth, that kind of thing. Get into a little bit more detail about that later. Uh, the one of the other media type running is a guy called Mark Gibson who used to report for Today Tonight. So he's also probably got fantastic politics. Oh, he's yeah, currently hosting a radio show and has been very clear that he's going to quit doing that show if he gets elected to the role. Oh, of that's mayor his because- first mistake. <laughs> <laughs> that's where you fucked up, Marky Gibson. Now you fucked up. His platform, as far as I can tell, is he's going to do a cable car. Um, so sure, why not? Um, so. I mean, obviously, there's massive conflicts of interest here, for yeah, example, yeah. if he gets elected mayor. I mean, as we said, he's hardly going to, like, give himself the third degree yeah, uh, yeah. As, a, as a reporter. Um, I don't know if we should be, like, you know, we, we like people get angry on all sides of politics whenever any politician goes onto some kind of interview and is basically just given a platform to speak their views at, like, a softball interview. Yeah. I don't think you can imagine a ball softer than one tossed to your yourself. Own self, yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know how much clearer we can be about this, but it's a bad idea um, from a journalistic perspective. But also, I mean, the dude is employed by Kerry Stokes, yeah, this who is a billionaire who has fingers in many, many pies and is a known piece of shit. Very uh, hilariously, Zemplis has made it very clear that he's not going to be able to avoid coming into contact with these conflicts right. of interest because. He is uh, one of his like campaign platform promises is that he wants to develop a, u- a new university campus on a block of land near the CBD in Perth. That block of land is less than 500 meters away from a couple of vacant lots that are owned by Kerry Stokes. Uh-huh. And Zemplis posted a map to Instagram showing like how, where the development would be, and like it included Kerry Stokes's land being like ready for development. Um, Zemplis was like, oh, yeah, but it, it, I didn't make that map. So, you know, there's, it's fine. <laughs> I was just passing um, it on from my boss, Kerry Stokes. <laughs> I didn't make this. I've got a conflict of interest. Yeah. Um, um, the, go on. I was just going to say that you, you, I think you're going to come to it now, but like that he's been like, yeah, of course I've got conflicts of interest. I'm just going to like tap out whenever any of that comes up. So like literally every decision that has to be made, I will just not <laughs> yeah. do my job. Like Exactly. <laughs> And there's, uh, I've got a quote here from another of the candidates, a guy named Tim Schwass, who is a former magistrate and seems to be not good as far as I can tell. Again, mm. a lot of the platforms read very similarly. They're just like, I'm going to activate the CBD. I um, used to work for an urban planning uh, organization and mm. one of the things that I had to do was contact every single candidate for the Victorian council elections and like figure out what their platforms on like zoning were and like bike lanes and shit and there are a lot of candidates for local council for one thing mm. and 98% of them their contact details are an email address that doesn't work they don't have a website <laughs> they don't have a phone number they don't have an address you can write to they don't have a business uh yeah so yeah your your uh, experience of checking out these mayoral candidates is 100% part Brings of very course. true mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah okay good to know it's not just <clears throat> perth it's not just you perth we swear. Um, but yeah, so I have this quote here from uh, Tim Schwass, who's another of the candidates. He said, quote, There's so many areas that Bazza will have to recuse himself. He'll be a part-time mayor. He'll be spending most of his time out in the corridor wondering what people are deciding. Um, 
Which, you know, um, uh, I am no fan of Tim Schwass, I assume, but uh, that was <laughs> a funny quote. Band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, quote here from Zemplis. Everybody has conflicts. Isn't it terrific that any conflicts that people perceive I may have are obvious? I've got well, the best conflicts. They're they're huge. <laughs> they're huge. They're out in the open. You can't deny them. Um, and yeah, again, also just want to reiterate that the previous council was disbanded because of partially because of conflicts of interest. <laughs> yeah, but they were these um, tiny insidious ones, Zach. Not huge ones that everyone can see from miles away. Extremely fucking obvious. Yeah. Okay. No. True. 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 Fair point. <laughs> Um, but okay, you know, so he's obviously a piece of shit and this is like, uh, it's flagrantly cheeky. <laughs> at the very least, it's cheeky. Um, at best, it's like, at worst, it's just like very yeah, obvious and legal cor- corruption. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, since this guy is likely going to be elected mayor, let's talk a little bit about his platform. Um, so I mentioned earlier that uh, Di Bame wanted to talk about activating the CBD, and this is something that all of the candidates have been talking about. Apparently, this is to do with um, restrictions on opening hours in the CBD in Perth. Right. I think that on Sundays, shops aren't allowed to open before 11 o'clock. Whoa. Um, yeah. Um, it's like 1950s Ireland or something? Yeah, it's, it's really weird. And if you, if, listener, live in Perth and want to shed any more light on this for us, please um, send in a potluck. We would love to hear from you about this. Why do you guys only wake up at 10.45 in, on a Sunday? You, you, you can get up earlier. It's okay. Anyway, so most of the candidates say they want to remove that. The other thing um, that the other sort of hot, button issue is homelessness in the cbd Mm. this is something again that's mentioned in uh, most of the candidates platforms um and zemplis has been kind of hard to pin down on it lately but luckily he has a column in the west australian newspaper which we can refer back to and see what he really thinks about stuff another big mistake zemplis for running for mayor so he had a piece in the western australian about a year ago titled if I ran for mayor, here's my ten ideas to improve the CBD. Big if. That's a terrible title. Terrible That's just title. like it's a poorly. It's two separate titles. I don't know. If I ran for mayor, here's my ideas. Like these are just you have these ideas now. Yeah. If I were to run for mayor, he would ten proposal. I don't know. It's fine. Just oh well, it gets better. He's an editor. <clears throat> His first idea, number one idea for improving the CBD. Quote: Clean it up. I make no apologies for this. The homeless need to be moved out of the Hay and Murray Street malls and the surrounding areas. Forcibly, if that's what it takes. I'm sick of being told by people who don't live and work in the city like I do that it's not that bad. Actually, it's worse. The look, the smell, the language, the fights, it's disgusting. A blight on our city and the single biggest impediment to progress and rejuvenation. So, advocating well, the effort... that's horrifying... Um, but no, also, I'm pretty sure kind of an he empathetic and humanist approach. Yeah, I don't think any of the. There's only one of the there's candidates one that actually candidate. does live in Perth City proper. Yeah, as far as I know, which is yeah, uh, pretty amazing. And, and look, just for a little bit of you know, maybe I've given Di Bane and her Bane train the short end of the stick here because at least her position on homelessness doesn't seem to be nearly as fucking awful as Zemplis. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read a quote here from uh, the uh, from WA Today, which is the, like, Channel 9 Fairfax paper in Western Australia. 
Quote, the former ABC journalist plans to create a list of rough sleepers by name, identify city buildings that could be used as temporary shelters and upgrade existing homeless accommodation. She also plans to strike a deal with hotels and backpacker hostels to provide temporary shelter, ramp up cleaning of key city areas, and fund a free shuttle bus trial to pick up rough sleepers and take them to service providers. My plan for Perth 2.0 is a full-time job, Miss Bain said. I have a vision to create a city with soul, one which invests in its people, is authentic, and allows our unique culture to rise up. So there's a few things going on there. Um, A couple of the ideas seem to be good. I don't know about putting homeless people on a list. No, Um, that seems reminiscent of some other strategies for cleaning up... Yeah, uh, countries and to allow their unique culture to rise up. Uh, yeah, and that was the yeah. other thing. Like, and it's and and it's an echo of really what what Zemplos is saying that like the biggest impediment to progress and rejuvenation in Perth is homeless people. You know, mm, and I'm going to get rid of homeless people in like a in a nice way, which means that our culture will be able to rise up. Very mm. fucking troubling rhetoric there, but like she Monkey seems like with a, a hat on drowning a guy. Yeah, yeah, energy. Yes. Yeah, but look, she's <clears throat> not a fucking Channel Seven host, so no. yeah, it's a big plus. Yeah, I guess soft endorsement versus Zemplus anyway from Snackpod. Yeah, do what you will with that Bane train. Run with that toot toot. Um, also, Australia's foremost political nobodies you- half-heartedly <laughs> endorse you as probably the least bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally a better slogan than the one she's got. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the main train. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, when you say it like that. Um, and uh, just before we get off, we need to discuss Zemplis' attitude to cops. So his first thing is that I think he said that he wants to provide 200 new police for the CBD. Um, because I, it just seems to be the first thing that... Um, it's just the first thing that conservatives reach for. Like, if they like, oh, I just need something solid that everybody can get behind. More cops. Yeah, okay. Everybody cool. loves Very, cops. Everybody <laughs> loves cops. Very imaginative. But um, slightly more interesting um, policy is that he says he's going to provide free parking for cops in the CBD because yeah, at the well, moment, I'm not sure the city can hire cops. So it makes sense that he would have to find like, some other way street usage related ways to help them yes well because apparently the lack of free parking for police in the perth cbd means that no good cops are applying for perth postings right um, it's only the scumbags who catch public transport who are becoming cops now. Right. and i've got this this amazing quote from the president of the western australian police union it says you cannot ask our hard-working police officers to get on public transport in the early hours of the morning often with the same people they have either locked up or given a move on notice it's a recipe for disaster wow Bro, you're not supposed to say that shit out loud. <laughs> We're police. We can't be part of the community. All of them hate us because we constantly brutalize them. I can't catch the bus. People are going to fuck me up. Aren't you that person everybody hates? Oh my, no. I'm the police officer who arrested you last night. I saw the implication of like, you can't ask police to catch the bus like a criminal. <laughs> yeah, but no good cops. Or only like the the there's a demographic of people who would be fabulous cops who are going to like do justice and fight crime and all of those things that people who love cops think that they do. But they're not really sure. It's kind of expensive to park, so maybe they'll just like be a 
security guard? Oh, like, I don't oh, know. Gee, I guess What's... I'm going to have to be a good cop elsewhere. Clean up yeah. some different streets. Good cop in parking. Melbourne. When they don't make me catch the fucking tram. <laughs> um, which Very seems like funny. as good a moment as any to play our new sting. AC? AB. AC, AB. Which brings us to... Another potluck. Potluck. Where do you bring snacks? This one is from long-time listener of the show, one of our OG Patreon supporters, and somebody who has given the show lots of very helpful pieces of advice over the past year and a bit. Um, this is a potluck from Mac. Um, a lot of people responded really positively to the new ACAB sting last week. We got a lot of, you know... It's a bit, it's red meat for, for Ozpol Snack Pod listeners, it is. really. Yeah, it's yeah. it's ACAB shit, you know what I mean? They love that. And uh, and I don't blame them. I love it too. But, but uh, the Sting, when, when you conceptualized it, was a version of a track by uh, Mad Lib, is it? Um, Mad America's Villain, most which is the, Mad the collab oh, yeah, between yeah. Mad Lib and MF Doom, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the song America's Most Blunted, which is a very funny track. And just in, at the very end, he has a similar moment with that ACAB with the dunk dunk. Yeah, dunk, I mean, dunk. it's a reference, but look. That didn't come across to everyone. No, and some people didn't appreciate the fact that I was using letters that do correspond to notes on a scale, but that the notes that I was playing were not the letters that I was saying. Yeah. (laughs) Has that clarified it at all? Well, if that confused you... (laughs) um, This is a... Max sent in a little bit of um, advice for us. So here we go. AC? Sounds plausible. I don't have perfect pitch. Sounded like a minor third. AB? Wait, what? That wasn't AB. That was like an octave. AC, AB? I mean, yeah, cute, but highly inaccurate. Here, let me fix that for you. AC? AB? AC, AB? I couldn't completely get rid of all the echoes of the C's that you played, Zach, but maybe that's symbolic. I love it. I, I, <laughs> Mac plays tenor saxophone, I'm pretty sure. And I, while I Did you not the see concept- the sax coming? No, well, no, I didn't. Even though they mentioned it in the Discord, um, <clears throat> uh, I mean, I listened to this before, so I, I, I heard it. But yeah, I, I, the honk honk. I don't think really like uh, explained the point they were making super clearly, but I love it. It's excellent energy. Uh, anyway, that's yeah. what the actual notes A C A B sound like when yeah, played in sequence. Yeah, but down like two octaves from where you were playing. And it, sure, and look, a it's, a different, it's a different creative interpretation. And it is. And here's the thing, you know, Noon, you know that as a collaborator that I try to be accommodating, flexible mm. when it comes mm. to the show. You, do. you know, yes. we have a bit of a back and forth, but there are some things over which I exert an absolute iron will. And mm. one of those things is the creative approach to the stings. Yes. That's one of the th- things that I will repeatedly knock Noon back on. Yeah. He's always like, can you do some Oh, incredibly- what about a Simpsons bit? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do some incredibly complicated thing that's also an extremely obscure reference that you don't get. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it. Um, <laughs> uh, so, Mac, all I can offer you is this. I really, I loved your potluck. Uh, it makes me laugh every time I listen to it. 
I am I'm not going to change this thing to be musically accurate because that's just my creative prerogative. But I offer this to everybody else. Every time you hear the ACAB thing in future, if you would prefer it to be musically accurate, just pitch just it. Just over the top. Uh, okay. Cool. Well, I think that the, <laughs> that pre- <laughs> it's, it's clearly time to end the show. We're both it's just chuckling to, it's now. Time it's to done. End. Please, it's if you like the, the show. show uh, support us on Patreon. Uh, go to patreon.com forward slash Pod. Chuck us a buck a month. You get a bonus episode. We've probably got one coming out uh, next week. Maybe the week oh, after. Oh, jeez. Yeah, yeah it's time. That. Yeah. Uh, you can also suggest things for a pot. Like if you're a $5 patron, uh, $10, you get a cool little pin. Um, yeah. yeah uh, hop on. Support the show. And uh, also, yeah, check chuck out us a review. Yeah, um, also check out all the posting. Chuck us a review, uh, you know, on I, I Apple Podcasts or Facebook or whatever. Uh, Did we get those super on, cute reviews? Uh, we were gonna... Twitter. Uh, no, we had a, we got a couple. We, we realized that we missed a couple. Not exactly co- uh, reviews, but just like some podcast platforms let you leave comments, and we can't keep up with all of them. So if you've written in to us and we haven't shouted you out on the show, um, please just like nudge us. Uh, and uh, we promise that we'll get around to it. We missed a couple of comments from uh, long-term supporter Ali Jackson over on CastBox, which is one of the more obscure podcasting platforms, I would argue. They said they liked my opinion that fuck the Queen. Uh, so, yeah. It's, that's a solid opinion. <clears throat> Thank you, Ali, for um, giving us that engagement, that algorithm. You know, we'd love it. Um, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I hope that you're all staying well and safe. Uh and uh, this is where Noon does his uh, sign-off. Fuck cops, crunch, crunch. We've got to figure something out for that. <laughs>